0: hey hey good morning how is everybody we're doing all right you guys awake you got some summer moon coffee this morning out there i hope okay good all right hey uh just want to welcome you here i'm gonna move this so i stop popping is that better if i put it up there All right. I just don't want you guys to be driven crazy by my... all the time. Um, Good to see you guys here. really is good to see you guys here together this morning. And uh, I want to say to our crew that has kind of helped set up this morning and get us going, um, it's been a bit of an experience this morning with us figuring things out as we're getting in here. And so we've been... um, Loading out the trailer and discovering pieces that we forgot and then all of that sort of stuff until a few minutes before the service We didn't even have uh, anything on the screen. So (laughs) we're glad that we uh, got a few things together and honestly Just glad to be together this morning and be in this space Um, I want to just as we get ready to start into this morning I wanted to give you guys a couple of quick updates One of those I think that you're all aware of because you're actually sitting here is the fact that we have found a facility for us to call our home for the coming months ahead and that is a very exciting thing. I know that Rob and I sighed a great, uh, Rob does all our operations, he and I sighed this great sigh of relief when we finally figured out that we were going to be here and so Um, That took place and we're excited about that and um, that's what that means is that we're going to weekly from the 28th of August but I'm going to give you some other dates because we're actually going to be starting to meet the week before but our equipment won't be here at that point. This popping is driving me crazy. I'm going to try moving this down. Is that better? All right. That's better. Maybe better um so uh we're gonna be in this space weekly from the 28th of august so i'm gonna figure this out sooner or later i'm gonna like modify this like is that better okay Um, Little things like that drive me crazy, but it's all good. We're going to be in this space. We've got a number of exciting things that you'll see in the coming weeks as far as some staffing updates and stuff like that as well. Um, So it feels like finally there's some good forward momentum and some answers to things that we've been praying about. And many of you have been really sweet um, to check on us. You know our story and our journey. And you've been sweet enough to ask about where we're at as far as our housing for our family. And we have some exciting news on that front as well. Yesterday, we uh, had an offer accepted. It looks like the Rathels are finally finding a home, which we're excited about. We've been praying about that for a long time. So thank you for your cares and your prayer. On that, we really do appreciate that. Um, and so, to that end, I'll give you guys a couple of dates and things going on at the very end of the service. But I just want to pray and pray again and ask that God would lead us as we kind of wrap up this series that we've been doing on Your Part Matters. And I know for some of you, you're like, "Oh, have I missed the light?" Well, we've been doing the city series, You Part, Your Part Matters. But I've really tried to um, organize my notes and and my thoughts today so that this is really a standalone message where if you haven't journeyed with us so far, which you can go back and watch those messages, but if you haven't done that, it won't feel like you're catching up to speed. Um, This will be a, a great moment for us to think together about what it means for God to do something on our heart and how that then propels us into action. So with that said, let's pray together. God, um, we are so thankful to be here together in this space today. God, as I'm up here, I realize there are 101 things that still need figuring out for this new campus of this church, and yet you have been faithful in bringing us to this moment. And so we have every reason to believe that you will continue to be faithful as we figure out the coming days and weeks ahead as we aim towards that September 25th day of being our official launch and publicly letting the community know that we are here and wanting them to join us in worshiping you. And so as we're together today, God, we want to do that. We want to worship you. We want to think about you. We want to think about you because we believe that you are the most important thing in our lives and in this world. And so God, as we spend this time, I do pray, as I often pray, that this wouldn't be just us going through the motion today, God, of, of doing church, the motions of doing church. But may you speak. May you lead. God, please take distractions away and give us hearts that are soft to hear from you. Thank, you. Amen. Well, speaking of our hearts, there is this terrible thing that seems to happen in the human heart in that there are two very broken and yet different realities into which we slip into believing and when I talk about realities I'm talking about lenses in which we look at the world through and so I want to just quickly describe those to you one of those realities and I'll just go ahead and call this a bad reality number one is this we think We can think, this isn't always the case, but we think that the world and the universe could and should revolve around us. That it centers on us. Wow, that is some big words right there on that screen. You're getting the point, right? Um, We think that the world centers on us. The universe is all about us. That we are the star in the spotlight. And I say this as there literally is a spotlight up here. The second bad reality that seems quite different from it is one that we also slip into believing or that the world around us slips into believing is this. We think that we are so insignificant that our little plot and lot in life doesn't really matter. That we are just simply a speck of meaningless dust sailing through the universe and our lives are insignificant and meaningless. You see, neither of these realities are true. They are simply not true. And we will talk about what I mean by that when I say it's not true. But firstly, I want to with you of how do we slip into believing those two realities? Because I think if we're honest, we at least know people who slip into believing those things and living like those things are true. But at times, we probably have slipped into believing that the world is all about us or that we're just meaningless and purposeless. And so let's do a little bit of investigating by thinking about our current cultural context. Here in the United States of America, here in the Western world. You see, we live in a world that wants us to balloon importance and significance. And so there's all sorts of things that we do to kind of drum that up in our world and culture. And I'm about to say something that I hope doesn't offend people. But we do things like, and by the way, this is kind of cute, but we do things like kindergarten graduation right like there's this thing where we're like you've done it but the truth is you've got years ahead of you like you haven't done it like you've got a long way still to go and we have things where we have games or we do tournaments and sports where everybody you know we don't keep and everybody is a winner and everybody leaves at the end of the thing with a trophy or a medal or something like that And at the same time, we have companies and marketers seeking to sell us this lie, this belief that we are at the center of the universe by giving us luxury products or holidays or vehicles or housing that makes us think that we are some sort of king in a palace at the center of the universe. We are told from a young age that we can be anything, that we can do anything, that we should try everything. Surprisingly, as we have these influences and many others, what it does is it produces people who truly believe that the world revolves around them. At the same time, we also live in a world that is increasingly moving away from the notion that there is a God. And that we as humans are created as special in that we are created in His image, unlike any other beings in the universe, that there's something very special about humanity. We're moving away from that belief. And what we're told and taught in our schools and in our universities is that there is no God, and therefore, there is ultimately no meaning. And so this is what's being handed down to us. We're told that we're a product of chance, that atoms that just happen to congeal at the right time and right place is why we exist. That life has no meaning, no purpose, and we are totally insignificant and ultimately pointless. And so what I'm hoping is the reason that we have so much confusion and angst in the world today. Both of these realities are lifted up and celebrated and yet they seem at total odds to each other. We teach our kids, we teach our young people that life is all about them, that it centers on them and then we simultaneously tell them that there's no meaning and purpose. Thankfully, there is a different and better reality than either of those two bad realities. One that we see actually lived after that we're going to look at in the scripture today. We don't know a lot about this particular character that I'm about to introduce to you, but his story reminds us of what is true. That is that there is a different reality, that we are not the center of the universe, but we are significant, that we do have a part to play. And the part that we play actually matters. So the character that we're going to look at today is someone that we only catch a little glimpse of. We only get a small snapshot of this person. This person appears in all four of the Gospels. And I think you guys know what I mean by Gospel. The, the accounts of Jesus' life. Those four, first four uh, books of the New Testament. And so he shows up in all of these. And his name is Joseph. Now there are several people with that name. Prominent people in the Bible with that name of Joseph. There is the Old Testament Joseph, right? The guy with the multicolored coat. We're not talking about him, okay? And then you've got in the New Testament, you've got Joseph who is Mary's and the non-biological father of Jesus. That's not the Joseph we're talking about either. We're talking about a guy whose name is, or he's known as, Joseph of Arimathea. Now, if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you at this point to open it, or you can open a Bible app. Or we will have it on the screen for you as well. But we're going to read from Luke chapter 23. And by the way, we could have chosen any of the New Testament books to read from. I chose Luke as our starting point because it gives us quite an overview of who this Joseph of Arimathea guy is. Or at least more than some of the other accounts. And so... As we read this, we're going to read verse 50 of Luke chapter 23. It'd be good for you to know that these sentences come right after the death of Jesus. So Jesus has just died on the cross. And then we read in verse 50 what it tells us. And that is this. There was a good and righteous man named Joseph. A member of the Sanhedrin, he's fifty-one now, who had not agreed with their plan and action, as in he hadn't agreed with their decision to execute Jesus. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in fine linen and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock, where no one had ever been. Placed. if we stop there that's all that we have Joseph at least in the book of Luke it's not much that we have to go off we don't know a lot about this Joseph of Arimathea in fact Theologians don't even know where Arimathea was. All we know is that it was a Judean town, but we don't even know that about him. What we do know is that he was an important person in Jerusalem at this time. And the reason that we know that is that it tells us that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And if you've got any Bible knowledge, you may be like, Oh, Sanhedrin, that's a, a Jewish thing, like an Israelite thing. So it was a in, in ancient Israel, the Sanhedrin was the supreme court. And it was this group of 70 men, uh, of which one of these guys was called the high priest. It included him, and they governed the Jews, and they met every day to do that. This was like a full-time job, this thing that they did. The only time they took a break was on Sabbaths and during festival times. And so he was a part of this Sanhedrin. He was an important guy in town. The other thing that we know about him is that he was wealthy. Pick that up from Luke chapter 23. But one of the parallel texts to this, which is Matthew chapter 27, tells us this. And I'll just read it for you. I think it'll be on the screen. It says this. When it was evening, a rich man, there we go, from Arimathea named Joseph came, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. Now this is an interesting text because it tells us he's wealthy, but it also tells us that he believed and followed Jesus, i.e. he was a disciple, a follower of Jesus. That's been laid out for us here, and it's clear from this passage. What's not clear is how he became a disciple. We just don't know that. Like, did he hear Jesus preach at some point? Maybe in Jerusalem, maybe somewhere out in the countryside, or did he see Jesus do a miracle? Maybe, Maybe he had somebody introduce him personally to Jesus, say, hey, this is Joseph, this is Jesus. We just don't know. But what we do know is what is most important, and that is that he believed. His heart was changed by Jesus. Now, why would I put it like that? Why would I say his heart was changed by Jesus? Because that's one of the ways that the Bible describes what happens when we believe who Jesus is and we follow after him. When we believe that that death that Jesus experienced that happened before what we read in the text was actually not just a a random act in history, but was actually Jesus paying for the sins of the world, including ours. Everything that we've thought, said or done that is offensive to God. When we believe that, our hearts... Because what the Bible tells us is that before Jesus does this change in our heart, our hearts are actually, and this is figuratively speaking, and when we're talking about our hearts, we're talking about the very essence of who we are, the seed of our mind, will, and emotions, okay? And so what it tells us is that before Jesus, our heart figuratively is hard. It's cold. It's self-centered. It's stone-like. And so when Jesus comes into our lives when we see him for who he is and when we receive his grace our changed it is healed now if you're a christian and you're sitting here in this room i just don't want to make assumptions here but if you're a christian and you're sitting in this room there should be part of you that's like yes yeah your heart is changed because you've experienced that you know what i'm talking about if you're not a christian yet and i say yet because i'm hopeful that something would change But if you're not a Christian yet, that may sound a little bit vague or a little bit strange to you when I talk about having our hearts changed because that that sounds a little bit vague or interesting. The Bible actually describes this process of change and it described it hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. It was a prophetic scripture in Ezekiel that talked about this. Ezekiel 36 verse uh, 26 says this, I will give you a new heart. This is God speaking about what would happen when Jesus would come. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove, hear this, your heart of stone, heart of flesh. This whole heart changing thing is a miracle. It's an incredible thing. And it's something that happened in Joseph's heart and something that has happened in many of your hearts. And yet sometimes we tend to play it down. Like we say statements like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, or yeah, Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. We should not be able to make those statements without really thinking, wow, how incredible is that? It's a big deal that He has changed our heart, changed everything, including and especially our perspective on life. You see, when this heart change happens, our view of the world also changes. And so no, no longer, when we have this heart change, will we be caught up in bad reality, number one, that we talked about earlier, believing that life is all about us because all of a sudden we understand, no, 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 life's about God. And no longer are we going to be caught up in bad reality, number two, believing that everything is meaningless because we see passed down through the love of God and the fact that He would die for us. Life once we are changed in our hearts, is now about God. This God who loves us with an incredible love that we should be thankful for. And this God wants to use us to be ambassadors of His love and grace. We now have a meaningful part to play in the world. Our part matters when Jesus changes our hearts. What happens is that as our home are miraculously softened by Jesus, we start to think, and this is a great question, how can I live for God? How can I live for God? There was a group of people who love God, who got together in the 1600s, long time ago, right? In the 1600s in the United Kingdom. And their aim in getting together was to try and sit down and figure out some big questions about God and about faith, using the Bible as as their kind of reference point. One of the things that they came out with during that time that has been helpful in church history since is a thing called the Westminster Catechism. And the very first question in that catechism is this, and it's old English because they lived in the 1600s, but they asked this question, and it's so poignant. What is the chief end of man and again that's old english what is the chief end we don't talk like that anymore uh basically what they're saying is what is the point of man is our purpose what what are we here for what why do we exist and their answer to that question was to say we are here to glorify god and to enjoy him forever And they cited a number of scriptures in in stating that. And that is such a succinct and good thing for us to hear and to believe. Why do you and I exist? We exist to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. When our heart is changed, we start to believe that. Our primary purpose is to make much of God, glorify Him and to enjoy Him. And I believe that Joseph of Arimathea experienced that change. And that as he experienced that change, he considered the fears that he faced and actually overcame those fears and was moved into action. And the reason that I say that is something that we see in his life. You see, Joseph of Arimathea has a flaw that we're aware of. He probably had many flaws, I imagine. But he has a flaw that we're aware of. And I like that a lot about many biblical characters, not that I celebrate their flaws, but basically I like that I can look at them and say, hey, they're imperfect just as I am too. And one of the ways that we see that in Joseph is that we see in John chapter 19 an interesting description of him. So we have these four parallel accounts of Joseph's life. Listen to what John says. He's not quite as kind as the other gospel writers. He says this, After this, Joseph, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Did you hear what I just read? Up until this moment of Jesus' death, Joseph was a secret fan, a secret follower of Jesus. And if you have some base of knowledge in the scriptures, what you and I know is that God is not looking for secret admirers. That's not what he, Jesus made that pretty clear there's a number of scriptures one in particular that comes to mind is Matthew 10 where Jesus himself said therefore everyone who will acknowledge me before men I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven but whoever denies me before men I will also deny him before my father in heaven Jesus is not mincing his words here we need to know that we need to be fully in and at some point Point during the course of events of that Jesus was arrested and stood on that that fake trial and then he later on was executed sometime during that window of time Joseph decided he wasn't going to be a secret follower of Jesus anymore how do I know that well because he asked for Jesus body that was a very public and risky move. Risky in particular for his status and his position in Jer- Jerusalem. That was a bold move where he stepped out of the sh- into the full light of being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And this is where I'd like to just take a little time out and say, hey, let's, let's make a side note here. And that is that I believe that maybe even some of us will experience some of that in the coming days and weeks. And what I mean by that is maybe some of you in this room, your faith by and large has been something that you've kept relatively hidden from those around you. And God is going to call for a change in that. God is going to stir for a change in that. In that He has placed you in maybe your workplace. Or maybe for some of you students in your school. Or maybe for some of you, it's in your neighborhood. And He's going to call you to step up in faith and to uh, to speak boldly about your faith. I can imagine that some of you, maybe in the days and weeks ahead, will have a conversation as you pray and think about it that sounds a little bit like this. Maybe you're at a, a neighborhood barbecue or something like that, and you're talking to one of your neighbors, and you say, Hey, John, I'm making up that name. Hey, John, uh, y- you may not know this about me, but... Uh, My faith is actually a really important part of my life. Uh, I'm a Christian and I go to a church and we're actually launching a new campus for our church just down the road on September 25th. I'd love for you to join us. Maybe that's the sort of thing that God will call some of us to. And I'm praying that that happens. And that may sound scary and daunting and even a little bit confusing. don't know how I'd do that or what that would look like. And so it may be good for us to ask, well, what does it look like to step out in faith and really use Joseph's life as an example? What did it look like for him to step out in faith in this moment from what we can tell? Well, firstly, one of the things that it looked like and what it meant for him was to to use what God had given him. We see with him this reflecting on, okay, what's in my hands? Like, What has God practically given me? And I think that's another good way of thinking about it, like not physically in my hands, but like, like um, thinking of the words here, here, like figuratively speaking, what do I have in my hands that God has given me? And in this instance, there's a couple of things that he seems to note and, and decide that that's calling him to use, and that is specifically his influence and his wealth. We know that he used his influence because it wouldn't have been an easy thing to step into the presence of Pilate. I don't believe that anybody could just stand in front of this governor of Jerusalem. I want to go and talk to Pilate. No, he used his influence. He realized, hey, I'm in a position of influence and I can use that. Secondly, we can believe that he used his wealth. Because what it tells us in the scripture, and we'll see this in a moment, that he offered up, yes, this fine linen that he's wrapping the body of Jesus in, but also, I believe, not just a tomb, his tomb to Jesus. And so as we think about that, I want for us to think about what has God given us that we can use for him in our hands? Like, let's not be theoretical about this. Let's think specifically, is there a skill? Is there a talent? Or maybe there's a position of influence that God's given us in a circle of friends at school or in a neighborhood or in a workplace. I don't know what it may be for you, but where has God strategically placed you? Maybe another category to think about as we think about what God's placed in our hands is even our possessions. For some of that's that's us giving financially to the work that God's doing. It may be as practical as saying, hey, we've got a home. And we'd be happy to host a life group in it, like for the church. Like the, these are the sort of things that we need to think about. Or hey, I know the, that we don't have a building yet, but the youth ministry, they'd be welcome to do some events at our house. Like These are the sort of things that I want for us to be thinking about as we ask what is in our hands that we can use for God and use for His kingdom. The second thing that we see from Joseph's example as we look at it is that stepping out meant getting his hands dirty. This is the part that we maybe don't like as much, but it's true. It's definitely here, even in this text. I love that as we read this text, we see Joseph's personal engagement in what's going on. Actually, if you go back to verse 53 with me here, it says this, Taking it, the body of Jesus, down, he, Joseph, wrapped it in fine linen and placed it in their tomb. If you go over to Matthew 27, which I referenced earlier, it actually says this. So Joseph took the body. Joseph took the body. He wrapped it in clean, fine linen and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut from the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Now, I don't imagine that pulling down a body from a cross is easy. Or not messy. It's both of those things. It's hard and messy, right? And so he probably had help doing it, but we very much get the idea that he was putting his hands dirty in this moment. He And that's there's just a good thing for us to realize that as our hearts are open to God, and as we say, God, my hands are here, like, lead me and use me as you want me to, it is going to be difficult and messy at times. Living for God will involve effort and mess, but it's worth it. It is totally worth it. As we think about all these things, we need to note that a change of heart, which we've been talking about, obviously, also leads us to a change of actions, an engagement of our, our lives, our hands in the work that God has before us. And Joseph's heart was changed by God. He was stirred into action. And that's just a really good thing for us to understand. The love of God as it saturates our heart, it can't just get bottlenecked right here and not actually result in us doing anything. It could and should. need. It needs to result in us living differently. The love of God should compel us to action. And as it compels us to action, these actions have eternal consequences. And so as we think about that, what are some of the consequences or the good things that came about from what Joseph did? Well, firstly... A prophecy was fulfilled I don't think Joseph realized this at the time but there was a hundreds of year old prophecy that was fulfilled by his actions if you were to read Isaiah 53 verse 9 it says this they and this was written hundred like I said hundreds of years before this took place they made his the Messiah's grave with the wicked this is a prophecy with a rich man at his death that's talking about Joseph right there hundreds of years before it happened a second really cool thing that resulted from these actions is that Joseph was recorded in Scripture. For, for us to look at and to see and to, to use as an example, his name is recorded in history. His name has been used for around 2,000 years since all of this took place. Now that's really cool, but neither of those things is as cool or as important as the third result of his actions. And that is that Joseph set the stage for the star of the story, which is Jesus. And not just the star of the story, the most important moment for the star of the story, the resurrection. His tomb was the stage of the resurrection. This simple and small act of faith, of him using his hands and saying, God, what do you have for me? Resulted in this incredible moment and in this stage. And that leads to a good question, at least in my mind, which is, Did God need to use Joseph in his story? And I think the answer to that is no. He didn't need to, but he chose to. And the same is true for us. Does God need to weave us into his story? No, but he chooses to. It's a mysterious thing. The Gospels and the Scriptures and life is all about Jesus. He is the one at the center of the universe, but God has chosen to weave imperfect characters with open hearts and open hands into his amazing story. And we too, that we can be a part of that. We can be a part of the story by having our hearts and our hands open to him. Which really leads me to a, a couple of questions that I think are very important for us to consider. The first is, do you have a heart that is open to God? A heart that is soft to Him? A heart that has been changed by Him? If you're not clear on, hey, where I sit with faith or, or whether I believe this whole God thing, like, again, I don't want to like, let's have a chat about that. I would love to have that conversation. Or maybe the person that brought you along. Like, let's talk about what it means to have our heart changed by God. To go from having this heart of stone to having this heart that is soft for Him. That's the starting point. That is the first thing that we need to figure out. After that, we can start the second question. And this is the one that probably applies to most of you in this room. And that is this. Are your hands willing to serve Him? Do you have open hands? And are you willing to use what you have? Are you willing to get your hands dirty like we've talked about with Joseph even? If so, what does that look like? Because you may be like, yes, my hands are open. But let's get down to the nitty-gritty here, right? Let's be practical. Let's think about this. And by the way, there's many ways that our hearts and hands can be open to God. It doesn't just have to happen in the context of Bannockburn Church, Budakile Campus. But we are about to learn. So on my mind are a number of different things that need to happen and things that we need for all of us to participate in. And so I'm just going to list out a few things for you, if you don't mind, because I want to get your wheels turning as you think about what does it look like for me to participate in this church family and have an open heart, open hands to being used by God. And so the first thing that I would encourage you to do as you think about having an open hand and open heart and open hands is to pray. We all need to pray over this campus, over this room. This is where we're going to meet, over this facility, over this geography. We need to be on the prayer team, all of us. We don't have a specialized prayer team because we're all a part of the prayer team. I would hate for people to come along to this place and for us to be a lot more organized than we are today with signage and great you know, uh, production and all of the stuff sorted out. Not that it's bad, Garrett. It's great. Um, But have all of this stuff sorted out. But somebody to walk in and walk out and not get a sense that God. We need to be praying that God would be amongst us. So you can engage in prayer. You can engage in personal invitations like I was talking about earlier. I am hoping that we're all thinking and praying about who it is that we're going to invite as we start and launch this new campus. The people around us that God's placed around us. We can all participate participate in giving of yes our efforts and energies but also of our finances I'd encourage us all to be thinking about that we can all be thinking about is there a particular that serves here on a Sunday that we can help with maybe that's the setup team maybe that's the tear down team maybe that's the safety and security team our kids ministry our youth ministry our first impressions and welcome crew Our worship team, our AV team, there's a lot that's going to be needed to make this church happen week in and week out. Is God calling you to participate in one of these ways? And as you think about that, you may think, well, you know, me coming along and helping out in this small area, that doesn't really matter a lot, does it? Actually, it does. It does. And I want to give you a couple of examples of that, because I think sometimes we lose the connection between us praying or the connection between us inviting and making somebody feel welcome. So here's the deal. I hope that somebody doesn't come along to this campus and, and their kid, as they come along has a horrible time in the kids ministry because it's just chaotic and we don't have enough volunteers down there staffing the kids ministry to make it excellent. And so as their kid comes along and doesn't enjoy, and they tell their parents that they're not coming back again. That family is going to come and visit us one time just because we didn't have enough volunteers down in the kids ministry. I'll give you another example. What if somebody comes here and doesn't feel welcome? They slip into the room and they slip back out without one person saying, hey, what's your name? Tell me a little bit of your story. I would hate for that to happen just because we're not engaged in welcoming and caring for people or we don't have enough people on our first impression team. By the way, we're all a part of the welcome team. I just want to make that clear. Uh, We have to pack up the trailers and not meet anymore because we just don't have enough finances to keep this thing going. What if a person walks in here and walks back out feeling like God wasn't amongst us because we're not praying that He would be, that He'd be stirring hearts and changing lives? our part matters all our parts matter even small parts matter the best example i can think of that is an engineering example so you're gonna to have to bear with me for a moment oh we got that picture that is is a—I uh, almost said boeing it's an airbus a380 okay that is a plane that looks like it ate another plane right like it's crazy i've been on one of these planes and it is like a city taking off like i mean it is incredible it is an incredible feat of engineering and i want you to think about it for a moment with me what makes that plane work well it's thousands and thousands probably millions you know there's a little spring in the button of joe's seat who's sitting in the back of the plate plane that when he presses it makes his seat go backwards you know what i mean like there's all of these little parts there's a there's a a hydraulic line that runs and and moves a little flap that helps adjust the autopilot there's all of these different parts there's the tires that make the there's all of these things there's air inside of the tires it's thousands and thousands and thousands of parts all working together to make this incredible And what I want you to hear and to see is that we are part of something much more amazing, something much more beautiful, much more even complex than this. And that is we are part of the church. And when I say that, I mean we are part of not just the church here in Buda Kyle, we are part of the church globally. And that is an incredible thing. Every part that we play matters. And so what is that? What is the part that God's calling you to play? here in this campus and here in your life. As you think about this campus specifically and have questions or thoughts about how you'd like to participate, talk to me, email me. I'd love to hear about what you'd like to be involved in. If you've got thoughts or a heart to help out with production and that sort of stuff, Garrett's sitting right there. Go and talk to him. He'd love to have a chat with you. We'll get your name on one of our lists. We're starting to figure all of these things out. I'll have people that I can point you towards with our first impression team. People I can point you towards with our kids ministry. Hopefully soon, somebody I can point you towards with us. And so there are all these ways that I love our safety and security team. All of these ways. I'd love to get us all involved and working, realizing that our part matters. As we launch, we are creating a culture of this new expression of the church. And my hope is that we would have a culture here, and I don't think this will be the case, but I I hope that we will have a culture here of not being a church who sits on our hands, but rather that we would be known as a church that are soft for God and hands that are open to His use. And I don't know what the future exactly looks like. It's starting to come into shape, but I'm excited to see with you guys what that looks like. Let's see where God leads. Let's prayerfully move towards being the church that God's calling us to be, understanding that we have a part to play and that that part matters. I'm going to pray.